Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's guest is Nick Shada, and Nick is a boat designer and builder from Connecticut here in the U.S. One of our previous guests from episode 19, Joey Schott, is building one of Nick's designs, the Petroplay in carbon fiber and a couple of other fabrics. So if you've not done so already, take a listen to that episode to hear how a boat gets built. And in this episode, we're going to dig a little more into the process of designing a boat. Nick runs Guillemot Kayaks, and his boat plans are some of the most widely built in home by home builders around the world but before we get to the interview just a quick reminder about our one-year anniversary contest listen closely for this episode's question and get your answer to me for a chance to win $100 to spend in the level 6 gear of your choice and some sweet gear from our friends at PH Custom Sea Kayaks and Werner Paddles so enjoy today's episode with Nick Shada. Hi Nick thanks for joining me today. Good to be here John thanks for inviting me. Oh I appreciate it this has been a uh, a fun one that I've been looking forward to. In my previous conversation with Joey, uh, Joey Shot, he highly recommended you. So I'm looking forward to the chance to speak here. So can you tell us a little bit about your personal background, Nick? I'm a, uh, at this point, a boat designer, small boat designer. I run a company called Guillemot Kayaks, where I sell plans for people to build their own boats. But I came to this, basically, my father's idea when we were a kid of a nice weekend was getting out in a canoe you know so i've i've been a paddler since i was you know like eight and when i was probably about 10 he built a a kayak kit unfortunately i being the younger brother of two brothers my brother eric got dibs on that kayak and so i had sort of kayak envy for a long time and when i got out of college i was looking for a boat and heard about these things called sea kayaks and said, you know, that's really what I want to do. But I had no money, so I decided to design my own. I I had a job as an electrical engineer working for the Navy, civilian engineer. And so sort of in my spare time, it was designing and building kayaks. I eventually turned that, those designs into a, a business selling plans for other people to build their boats. And uh, went from there. Uh, eventually, the Navy job had a base realignment and closure commission thing, which shut down the lab where I was working. And I said, let's do the kayak thing full time. And that was, I think, 1995. So I've been sort of a kayak designer, small boat designer since then. So what was the first uh, design that you created? I, the first boat design I created that actually floated was for, there was a, an event called the Connecticut River Raft Race. It actually still exists, but it was a bit of a, a drunken uh, brawl kind of thing. But on the Connecticut River, people built these rafts, and a buddy of mine, high school friend of, of mine, really wanted to enter a raft in the race. So I sort of designed this really horrendous sort of trimaran thing that we could row down the river it fell apart about halfway down the race we made it all away but after that i i do drew up a couple kayaks on my parents living room floor that i never got to i initially thought i wanted a whitewater kayak i ended up buying a fiberglass whitewater kayak i think it was a somebody had pulled a mold off a perception mirage 
it used to be the way clubs would get kayaks for everybody in the club is somebody would buy a really nice kayak and then the club would pull a mold off of it and everybody else would take use the mold to build their own kayak. I got one of those kayaks, the whitewater kayak, and I found spent most of my time out on the ocean in it. And I did a 20-mile run down Somme Sound up in uh, Mount Desert Island in Maine. If you know anything about whitewater kayaks, they're not designed to go straight on flat water. And I said, there really has to be a better way. <laughs> so I, I, I ended up... So a little bit more background. This was back in the mid-80s. And sea kayaking was just coming into the this country as a thing. And there was a magazine called Small Boat Journal. And one of the editors of that had a section in the back he called gunk holing, which is a term cruisers use for a sort of poking into small harbors. He talked about sea kayaks as a thing. And I said, yeah, you know, that's really kind of what I want to do. I want to, you know, poke into little harbors and explore small areas. And, you know, sea kayak sounds like exactly the thing to do it. But I'd never laid eyes on one. There were some tiny little pictures in the magazine. So, you know, I, again, sat down on my parents' living room floor. My father, from his job, had a big pad of paper used for presentations. So I drew up what I thought would be a sea kayak and ended up building that. And that has evolved into what's now my great auk design. The original version was a bit longer and didn't didn't turn basically it's tracked straight as a battleship but i had a great time in that boat my brother ended up building it building one off the same molds tweaking the design a little bit make it a little bit easier to paddle but that really got me hooked and you know from there it was just sort of trying to make a better boat Interesting that you talk about the Great Auk. So I almost feel like I, I know you personally after watching uh, many videos and, and reading your book and spending five years in my... Well, actually, I, I have plans for a Great Auk. Mm -hmm. um, and my wife bought the, uh, bought the plans for me one year. And I started to... I got the strong back all set up, got it up in the basement and put a couple of strips together. And then from that point, I was just terrified <laughs> of what I might do wrong. And... So I was just paralyzed by fear, and so it sat with a couple of strips on the uh, on the forms in my basement for about a year, and then a few more strips, and then it sat for another four years, and I just I didn't know what I wanted to do, and finally I just said I need to get this thing out of the basement after being after having been down here for five years, and so now I have a great auk hanging in my garage. And, oh, excellent, great. Yeah, so good job it. with the persistence. Thank you. It was a. Uh, <laughs> The first one I've built, and certainly I'll build more, because um, it was it was a fun process having gone through it. So for you, what goes into the design process? You know, like I said with that uh, the first boat, which became the Great Auk, you know, I'd never laid eyes on a real sea kayak. So at that point, it was just sort of my experience in canoes and sort of what looks good to the eye, I think, figured would probably look good to the water. And, you know, I, I still think that's a pretty good starting point for designing a boat. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but I think the the human perception of what looks good is somehow evolved to detect what actually works well. And I, I don't really know how that came to be, but 
I think, you know, I, I found it's a pretty good way to, you know, start out with something. If, you know, if it looks pretty good, it's probably going to work pretty good. But from there, once I had a boat that I could put on the water, I was actually able to say, okay, how's this boat working? And while I loved that initial great arc and had a lot of fun with that, paddled a lot of miles for a number of years, I, I eventually thought, you know, this, this doesn't turn with a dam. I, you know, I had a <laughs> rudder on it, um, and even with the rudder hard over, it's, it would still barely turn. But that gave me something, you know, basis for making changes. You know, I, I didn't have any background in naval architecture, but at that point, I you know, there was Sea uh, Kayaker magazine and various resources out there that could hear what people are saying, you know, makes a good boat, how, how different design features affect that, and could then take some of that those ideas and put it into another design and what it eventually becomes is sort of an iterative process where you build a boat paddle it see how it handles see what i want to change on it come up with an idea on how to make those improvements drop another boat incorporating those ideas build it see how it works and as my skills as a paddler increased, you know, what I wanted out of the boat changed. As my skills as a designer improved, what I was able to put into that design improved. Again, it's, it, you know, there's a sort of virtuous cycle there, feedback, where with time and practice and, you know, making mistakes, you start to learn what makes a boat work well. Try it, see what works. So you go through all those different iterations. What, out of curiosity, what do you do with the test boats? So you built one. You said, mm, no, it doesn't, it doesn't have quite the features and functionality that I'm looking for. So I'm going to drop plans and build another one. Now what happens to that boat? You must have a thousand boats kicking around. <laughs> well, you know, there's some boats that were just sort of, I wouldn't say complete disasters, <laughs> but I just, you know, this was before Craigslist put a, add out someplace and you know here's a cheap boat come get it um one thing that you know that as a guy who makes his living designing boats probably shouldn't say but i sort of picked this up from another boat designer a guy named john winters he said it's you know it's really hard to design a bad boat but what's also hard is to design a really good boat. He, he did a little sort of science experiment with his wife. I don't know if you're familiar with John Winters. He's um, Canadian or became Canadian, um, originally from the U.S., I believe, but uh, did some work with Canadian Olympic teams uh, for their canoe and kayak team and just designed you know, a bunch of canoes and kayaks. And he was really into scientific analysis of boat designs and so if you remember the kayak reviews in sea kayaker magazine i don't know if you ever experienced those but they had stability uh, modeling and drag modeling so forth and john winters you know came up with the the systems for doing those analyses on on the boats but so he had this science experiment where he just told his wife draw up a kayak 
uh, you know, she had no experience in drawing kayaks. She'd spent time in boats. But, you know, so she just sort of, you know, made something pointy at both ends. And, and then he took whatever she drew and ran it through his analysis stuff. And, you know, his basic conclusion was, you know, she designed a pretty decent boat. Was it a fantastic boat? No, but it wasn't a bad boat. So to sort of get to your question, while I made a lot of boats and tried a lot of things, I got to the point where the, you know, the boats I came up with were decent. You know, there's always room for improvement. I haven't stopped trying to come up with new ideas. There's always things I, you know, I think, well, maybe I can tweak that. Maybe I can tweak this. But I, after a certain point, I got to the point where, okay, these, these designs are good enough that I'm willing to spend a lot of time with them and, you know, really delve into what's making them tick. And I, I, I found that for really me to really understand how a design works, I've, I've really got to spend at least a year paddling it, get out in all conditions, paddle it in the you know, year round in everything that get presented with and, you know, see what's bothering me about it. You know, you can pretty quickly adapt your stroke technique and so forth to, you know, make a boat do pretty much what you want. But after a while, you, you see, okay, what am I struggling with to, you know, to get a certain performance aspect? What What's make, taking a little bit more effort than I'd like? And that's where I start watching how the boat's cutting through the water. If I can have somebody else paddle a boat next to me and just see how they're handling it, you know, that can all inform what my next iteration might be. So, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, Sea Kayaker magazine and all the, the detail that was involved in all those uh, boat reviews. I do recall those. And well, I think we all miss that magazine and, and all miss uh, the information that you found in it. So. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's it was a great resource, and it's it's sad that uh, this internet age has made resources like that harder to sustain. But uh, that's the way it is, I guess. That's right. Well, like <laughs> like a boat going through iterations, uh, media does as well. So yeah. Um, so it sounds like at least a year from inception to the time you're ready to put your name on a boat. Does that sound right, or or longer? Yeah, it it you know it can take longer. But, you know, also, I, I might say, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll release the boat before I've spent my year fully paddling it. I'll say, okay, this addressed the issues I was trying to address with that boat. Now the question to me as a designer is, you know, how do I improve the next boat? So, you know, it, it might be several months after I've sort of finished the boat and put it on the water I say okay yeah I'm comfortable that this is where I want it to be for this design before I start on the next one it'll be a year paddling that boat and then you know I might start drawing something and that drawing process might take a year just as I'm experiencing whatever other boats I have and you know incorporating my experience with those into the new design. One thing that is a problem with my design process and my build process is we can at some point get into what these build processes are, but building a strip-built boat, as you know, can take a long time. 
generally doesn't take me five years, um, but <laughs> it you know it's it's months, and I, I have a lot of envy for like um, Brian Schulz of Cape Falcon, where he can prototype a skin-on-frame boat within a couple days and really do fast iterations on a design. I'm doing something where creating my first prototype, just the build process takes, you know, a pretty big investment. So I put a lot of time into the design process before I start cutting wood because I want to be as sure as I can, you know, like you were afraid of, you know, making a mistake. I, I, I don't want to go through this process and have it be not dialed in the way I want. So there's a lot of refining that happens on the computer in CAD, just sort of, you know, getting the, the sculpt, sculpting that shape to exactly what is in my mind um, for what I want. Well, I know that uh, certainly from my build process, there were a lot of mistakes that happened along the way. And, you know, there were times when I'd do something and I, it didn't work out. And I thought, wow, how am I ever going to fix this? And I'd have to just leave the basement, go away for a couple of days. And I can remember sitting on the couch and all of a sudden I'd, I'd jump up and my wife would say, where are you going? I figured it out and I'd be down in the basement for a few hours because I'd finally found out what that problem was and how to fix it. Yeah, you know... Uh- one of the, the, I think in one of my books, I, I talk about the moaning chair, <laughs> which um, this is the chair to which you retreat after you've made a mistake. So you can sit there, you know, head in hands and moan for a little while while you try to figure out what to do next. And, and I will say, you don't really know how to make a boat until you've made those mistakes and you've figured out how to fix them. You know, that's, that's a large part of the process is just willingness to, you know, look at it and say, yep, I can fix that. And, you know, going, going ahead and doing it. And, you know, sometimes it does require you step away from the boat and, you know, go sleep on it. And maybe it's going to, you know, take a, a, a day, a week, a month, a year, but hopefully you can come back to it with some new idea on how to attack the, the process and, you know, move ahead. So you mentioned that your dad built a boat that your, your brother got the boat. Did you learn the craft from your dad or how, how did you learn the craft? So that initial boat was a very strange thing. I, you know, I'm not, I, I should ask my father where he found that design. It was actually a kit and it would be, you know, I guess what I'd call it now is a skin-on frame with a fuselage frame. So the fuselage frame would be cut plywood frames with stringers. But instead of like a a fabric skin on it, um, this kit used sheets of fiberglass, hard sheets that were flexible. They were probably less than a sixteenth of an inch thick flexible kind of you know that material that corrugated material you see used on uh, outhouses um, to let some light in this is like a flat version of that and then uh, chop strand mat tape around the corners the chines and the shear it was really a sort of ugly nasty boat but my brother and I both had a lot of fun in it but it did not in any way really inform my building process for anything I did after that. Possibly the the raft race the debacle, but 
my brother had picked up a book by Gil Gilpatrick about building strip-built canoes. I helped my brother build a little 14-foot strip canoe using the strip-built method with that, and we built it in my parents' basement using polyester resin, which made all the crackers in the house taste like polyester resin. And, you know, so when it when I was starting to think about a kayak, I had that little bit of experience based on that one book. And I said, you know, I think I could make a kayak using these basic techniques. And so I just went ahead and did it in complete ignorance of whether it was possible or not. And, you know, I, I think I owe a lot of my early success to, you know, complete ignorance of not knowing that something sh- probably shouldn't be done that way. You know, you, you you learn a lot quickly by making mistakes, as I said, and and some of those mistakes were really good ideas in, in, in the long run. Bottom line is, other than reading a couple books, it was just going down into the shop and trying to fit pieces of wood together and cover them with fiberglass and epoxy. And spend a little bit of time in the moaning chair once in a yes, while. Yes, yeah. The moaning <laughs> chair is the key item in any boat building shop. <laughs> so what inspires you to come up with a new design? We'll come back to our interview and get that answer from Nick in just a moment. But first, we have this episode's mystery question for our one-year anniversary contest. And this episode's question is, what is Darcy Gector's client's nickname? That's this episode's question. You have until February 28, 2021 to get your answer to me. And we'll announce the winner on our March 15, 2021 show. So now we're going to get back to Nick Shada and learn what inspires him to come up with a new design. I really come to this from the background of wanting to go kayaking. And so it's being out on the water and experiencing different things. And, you know, I, I look at the places that I used to paddle with my parents when I was a kid in the old Grumman canoe and feeling that those were, you know, really out there places to go when we went in the Grumman and now you know I'm paddling by there in the first 20 minutes of my trip and you know going out to more exposed places and you know more interesting places and you know it's finding a fun and efficient way to get where I want to go and be where I want to be on the water in a kayak whether it's out in the tide race or you know paddling around a exposed island or in rock gardens or whatever it's 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 being there in the water and you know like i said finding something that you know it's just a little bit of a struggle to catch this wave you know what can i do to you know make it just a little bit easier you know i'm having trouble turning here you know how, how do i tweak that so i i can just go out there and have you know have more fun. So I'm really inspired by being out on the water and doing the stuff out on the water. That, that's what drives the whole, my whole existence, really. So as a paddler, tell us a little, little bit about you as a paddler. Well, until I, I built that original Great Auk originator, uh, you know, I, I hadn't done what we might now call sea kayaking. You know, I, I had time in the boat my father had made which was a little 14 foot 24 inch wide essentially 
a slalom spec kayak, you know, and the, the, paddling that on lakes and, you know, out around close islands in Maine or you know, along the coast of Connecticut here. When I got into, you know, more real sea kayak, the, the one I had made, I started, you know, Maine Island Trail, uh, going to more exposed islands farther offshore, uh, longer crossings. But again, at when, when I was starting this, you know, mid-80s, there weren't a lot of other kayakers out there. I, I, I think I fir- saw my first other sea kayaker on the water like five years into my sea kayaking career. You know, so all my paddling techniques are really sort of self-taught. And, you know, I, I spent quite a bit of time, you know, bringing my friends out and sort of trying to teach them as best as I could and to share my experience. But at this point, you know, I, I tend to I paddle year-round. I, I like any kind of water. I, I live right on a, a river that feeds out to Fishers Island Sound. So in the mornings, I'll go out for a sort of fitness paddle and nothing better than a glassy smooth water before breakfast go out go around an island come back in where on the weekends you know my home paddling waters are long island sound fishers island sound and there's fairly sizable currents and some nice tide races so there can be two to five knots of current running out over reefs that'll create tide races and go out there and play in the waves and i i don't have any aca bcu sort of certification stuff it's just going out there but time on the water having fun paddling so if you could paddle any uh, any type of environment uh, what would you paddle over and over again if it was just one type I guess what really got me hooked on sea kayaking was being up in Maine. Um, my parents have a place on Frenchman Bay, across the bay from Bar Harbor. I, I'll go up there for, you know, a couple of weeks in the summer. And, you know, sometimes I'll just be doing one loop, which is out around Ironbound Island and back. It's a little 12-mile loop, and, you know, I'll do that in the morning, come back for lunch. And that kind of environment, you know, it's an exposed island with, you know, can be big waves coming in. Just experience the interaction between the water and the, the shore and, you know, sort of being there with my, my totem bird, the guillemot, is, that's where I see it, is off Ironbound Island there. And I, that bird likes to hang out where I like to hang out and, you know, seems to enjoy the same sort of conditions. And if I could just be out there with the guillemots, that's where I'd be. That's a cool connection. So out of, out of all your designs, what's your favorite design to paddle? At this point, it's one of my petrels. So I, I have a couple different petrels. I've got a strip built 17 foot petrel. And then I've got a stitch and glue version of that. And I also have my petrol play, which is a 14-foot version, which is actually what Joey at Turning Point's building in composite now. And I have, I personally have um, 
a stitch and glue version of that plus one of Joey's. And it sort of depends on the day. I, I think it's something like golf clubs, you know, you sort of decide, you know, are you in the rough or you know, driving, you know, some dist for distance and, you know, I'll, I'll choose my boat based on what I'm doing that day. If I had to choose just one, it would probably be my uh, 17-foot strip-built petrol. It's a great all-around boat, and you know I can cover distance very efficiently. And out in the tide race, it's a lot of fun. Surf, surfing a point break, a lot of fun. It's a great all-around boat. So how long did it take you to, to conceive the petrol? I'm trying to remember when exactly I put that design out i think it was probably about 15 years ago and um you know so at that point you know i'd been working on designing boats for let's see 25 years or so you know so it's it was with this iterative process i tend to use it's you know it's taken all of that time to get to that um and I, the petrol play was something I came up with several years afterwards, you know, using some of the ideas from that. And, you know, there's still some things I'm playing around with with those. I have my micro bootlegger Sport, which is taking some ideas from some different boats and melding them together with the petrol play, which I think has a lot of potential. And I... I need to find the time to build myself one of those so I can get out there and uh, really get that year of paddling time in it to see if it's hitting all the spots I want it to hit. That's funny. Joey uh, had mentioned kind of something similar that he's been building all these boats for everybody else, but only now is he getting to the point where he's building one for himself. Yeah, it's a cobbler's kids have no shoes kind of problem. Um <laughs> You know, I, I've been building custom boats for people for quite a while now, and and I sort of feel compelled when one of those orders comes in to put priority on the guy that's actually paying me to build a boat versus um, what I'd actually like to build. I'm, I'm hoping to make some adjustments in those priorities soon and spend more time building boats for myself. So what's your favorite, uh, I guess I'll call it build style, is it strip built or stitch and glue? It's probably strip built. It gives me the most design freedom in, you know, both the shape of the boat and, you know, the look of the boat. And, and you know, I, I can use wood that's really beautiful and do stuff that makes for a boat that's beautiful and a sh- form that's beautiful. So, you know, just the overall look of the boat will be nice. And the form, if I painted it flat battleship gray, would still be a good looking form because I can make make the shapes I really have in my head. But, you know, again, I've expressed some envy for like some of the people building skin on frame boats. That is a really fun process because, again, you can get a boat in fairly short order and that's something that I'm going to, I'm trying to get some plans out there. Again, my micro bootlegger sport, because the biggest downside probably to my wooden boats is 
the reaction people have when they see it is almost universally, I'd be afraid to put that in the water. It's sort of a messed up notion. The boats can handle just about anything we can subject them to on the water. The sort of part that's most fragile is our perception of what they're experiencing. So, you know, people don't want to scratch the boat. The boat doesn't care if it's scratched. It's only us that gets upset when we see a scratch on the boat. The boat handles fine with scratches. So that perception of being a precious object can detract from people's desire to use the boats the way I design them to be used. And so one of the things that's been intriguing to me with when I get back to the skin on frame things is they don't have that precious object feel to them. They're much more utilitarian feeling for people. And so that that's an appeal to me also. So, you know, I, I really like the looks of my strip built boats, but sometimes that hinders people's desire to use them the way I'd like them to be used. I'll probably uh, slaughter the quote, but I, I know you've heard it before. It's something along the lines of uh, a boat in the harbor is perfectly safe, but that's not why boats were made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know I have a, a couple of big uh, love marks on my boat that well, it happens. And, you know, you don't, it's not a matter of if it's going to get scratched, it's when it's going to get scratched. Yeah, and, you know, it's a well-built boat can handle those scratches, can absorb those scratches, and you can absorb the hits that you're going to, you know, if you bounce off a rock, a well-built boat's just going to bounce right off of it. You know, that's sort of what defines it as being well-built, is its ability to, to take that abuse. So while we're on the, t- on the subject of, uh, of abuse for boats, what do you recommend that people who own a wood boat do to maintain their boats? Again, with the cobbler's kids have no shoes problems, my boats don't get maintained. In in a perfect world, the the final finish on most boats is varnish on most of the way I build boats. So there's fiberglass and epoxy over the wood, and then the epoxy needs varnish over it to protect the epoxy from ultraviolet. So the primary maintenance is just making sure that varnish stays in good condition. Once the varnish starts to deteriorate, the epoxy starts to deteriorate, and it can be sort of a a downward slope from there. So making sure the varnish is in good shape, usually that's a matter of every couple years you give the boat a light sanding, and slap on another coat or two of epoxy, uh, of varnish. You know, again, people can get caught up and they don't want any dust in their varnish, you know, because it doesn't look good. Well, after about five days of paddling, you're going to have salt spots on your deck. The varnish is still going to look good, even if there's dust in it. If you do a halfway decent job of just laying it on there, and it's doing its job to protect the epoxy, Is your boat's probably going to be fine. If you should end up hitting something so hard that you end up breaking it, usually the repair process is not a big deal. It, it's something that uh, essentially it can be identical to how you'd fix a fiberglass boat. You can just sand out the spot, lay in a patch of fiberglass, and be done with it. 
the reason it typically is more involved with that is again the aesthetic thing people want to make their boat look pretty again and you have too many of those ugly patches on it and people start to think it's just not good enough anymore but typically you know i i have successfully broken a boat and really it was a matter of making the wood fit back together the the parts the pieces of wood didn't go very far. They just sort of folded back. I sh- I folded them back into place, sanded it down, put a layer of glass on the outside, layer of glass on the inside, sanded all smooth, put new varnish on it, and people don't know that anything ever happened to them. Um, do, do you use any materials other than wood? Well, obviously, I've talked about fiberglass and epoxy, and they're really an integral part to both the strip built and stitch and glue boat construction and what you're creating is essentially a fiberglass boat with a wood core so you've got a sandwich of glass wood and then glass and that wood core adds a huge amount of stiffness and the glass is there for the overall strength and so you know that those three things the wood fiberglass and epoxy are my primary materials but you know i will sometimes substitute other fabrics for the reinforcement so carbon fiber carbon kevlar kevlar um you know there's some other products out there that can be used in place of the fiberglass the downside of almost all of them is they are not transparent so if you're looking for that wooden boat finish generally you'll only end up using those fabrics on the inside so i I asked joey the same question Uh, i'll ask you as well do you have a favorite fabric i i I, if i remember correctly joey answered carbon fiber (laughs) um you know i'm not i'm not going to go with his answer i'm going to stick with fiberglass and you know if well to get down into the weeds of fiberglass there's e-glass and there's s-glass e-glass is sort of the standard stuff and s-glass is a high strength glass and i'd probably go with the the s-glass the high strength glass in that you know i can still honor the wood by having it show through it's a very strong material and in that composite of glass wood glass it makes a really outstanding boat building material and you know i I think i guess the sort of engineering answer again i come from an engineering background is my favorite material is a composite material so sandwiching that glass with the wood and the epoxy the the beauty of composite materials is they exceed the properties of each constituent material so you take the wood by itself it's got issues you take the glass by itself it's got issues you take the epoxy by itself not all that good for much you put them all together and you can make a really fantastic object and uh, and beautiful at that yeah Um, how about a favorite wood to work with my go-to is western red cedar it it's from an engineering standpoint it's lightweight and strong so very good strength to weight ratio and from an aesthetics perspective 
the color of western red cedar can vary from a real pale blonde to a rich chocolatey brown i i tend to favor the the chocolate end of that spectrum it, it's a really rich looking color you combine that with some you know, bright accents like an alaskan yellow cedar or something to really draw some contrast and you can really have a fabulous looking boat and it's working with it you you're smelling the cedar and it's a really nice smell and it works well with a good sharp block plane you just can take these beautiful curls of uh, cedar off of there there's a, a sport you might call it in japan where they make these planes for planing wood for flattening wood where they try and take the finest shaving of wood off a board as they can and they'll take a 20 foot long piece of wood and make a shaving that's thinner than toilet paper and they use western red cedar on those in those contests a lot because it it will cut so beautifully um and you end up with this translucent piece of wood that is amazing what you can do with a sharp tool in western red cedar that's pretty cool so you mentioned Guillemot earlier. So tell us a little bit about Guillemot kayaks. Yeah, you know, it, it grew out of just my um, desire to build myself a boat. When I first sat down on my parents' living room floor, I couldn't find plans for the boat I was looking for. And, you know, I wanted something. And then once I built that boat and got out there on the water, I started paddling a lot up in Maine, like I said. The Guillemot was out there where the places I was seeking out. So I, I sort of took that Guillemot bird as sort of my totem. And, you know, I, I kept on designing boats. And, you know, again, through that iterative process I've talked about. And after a while, I said, you know, I think I've got some pretty decent boats here. I like the way they handle this, I'm still not seeing much in the way of other people offering plans. You know, I, I, I thought, let's put them out there and, you know, see if people are interested. And, you know, people were. So eventually, you know, you know I, I thought, you know, this is the way to go. I, I had that engineering job, but um, it got the lab where I was working got shut down and I was offered a severance if I didn't want to make the move to the new location. And I said, hey, let's let's take that severance and let's do the kayak thing for a while. And that was 1995. Um, and so I've been doing it ever since. Really what I've decided my business is providing people with everything I know. And so it's putting my plans out there, making them available to people, uh, I wrote a book and then another book just sort of describing my process and making it accessible to people so other people can, you know, experience this, you know, the joy of being out on the water in a boat you've made yourself and, you know, let other people experience that. You know, I, I, I felt that my sort of mission is to get that available and accessible as possible to as many people as possible and so you know most recently that's taken the form of 
YouTube videos as, as well, just it, which just started by pointing a camera while I was working at, at something I was doing and putting them out there. And, you know, it's evolved into sort of documenting complete builds so you know, people can see the whole process. And, you know, it, it, it's been an amazingly effective way to get the the whole thing in front of people so they know it's an option and something they can do and make you know, make them see that you know the, these are you know this is something that anybody can potentially do if they're inclined to give it a try i can certainly attest that uh, those youtube youtube videos were quite a value like i mentioned there were many times while i was doing my build that uh, I'd think, okay, I'm not really sure how to do this, and I'd find you on YouTube and just watch a build and see how something went. And uh, your book, I have a copy of the Strip Belt Sea Kayak right here next to me, and it was invaluable during that process. So you've certainly been generous with your with your knowledge. Well, I, I, I'm glad it was helpful for you. You know, I I've part of my business has been building custom boats for people. And I enjoy doing that. It's it's fun, but it's for me it's fairly stressful because, as you know, the process takes a very long time, and as a consequence, I have to charge a lot of money for it. And as a consequence for th- of that, you know, the people that are buying it tend to be well off. And you know, while I enjoy building for them, and you know, I've met some really wonderful people and built boats for them the impact i have on that person's life it's they're wealthy people they have a lot of nice stuff i've made another very hopefully very nice thing for them and they're generally very appreciative of the nice thing they now have but if somebody takes my book and builds a boat and gets out on the water in a boat they built themselves. For some people, that's a seriously life-changing experience. These days with the jobs most of us have, we don't get that hands-on, build-your-own-thing experience that much anymore. You know, I do, but a lot of people with office jobs, you know, they're doing something that... You know, it's hard to see what the end result is. You know, they may, you know, maybe they're a programmer working on, you know, some big software application. So their little part of it is visible there. And, you know, that's a creative process and, you know, it can feel the accomplishment. But there's not that many opportunities these days for us to get our hands on material and transform that material into a useful object. And it, it can really, you know, I, I know from my experiences and things I've gone through, being in the shop, making stuff is about as therapeutic a thing as there is. And, you know, it, it focuses the mind on something. And then when you're done, you have this physical object. And what's nice about a boat as opposed to, you know, a birdhouse, is you can put your butt in it and now go experience stuff out on the water. And, you know, completely complete transformation from this pile of sticks to 
an experience out on the water. And you know, I, I feel really privileged to be part of that experience for a lot of people. Thank you. Um, so, Nick, how can listeners reach you? Um, well, I have a website at guillemot-kayaks.com. And, you know, when I chose the Guillemot as my uh, totem and business name, I failed to think about how people are not going to have the vaguest idea how to spell that. I'll spell it out, but I'll have an easier solution. Guillemot is G-U-I-L-L-E-M-O-T and hyphen K-A-Y-A-K-S dot com. But otherwise, you go to kayakplans.com. That's my website as well, woodenkayaks.com. Those are much easier to remember and easier to find. And I've got a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash nickshada, N-I-C-K-S-C-H-A-D-E. Um, and you can find me there as well, find my videos. So how did you choose the Guillemot as your, as your totem? So, you know, I was with my first boat paddling around in the coast of Maine and out on some of the islands I started exploring. I found a Guillemot bird. It's a bird in the, it's related to a puffin and they uh, live on the cliffs of Ironbound Island in Frenchman Bay and they are out there in the waters I like to paddle and being in the places I like to be and I just thought you know those are my birds right there. So when you mentioned that earlier I guess I was thinking that it was you were imagining that's where the guillemot would be but they were there. They were they're there there that's where I see them and it's you know you get a little bit uh, farther, you know, down coast towards Portland and Maine and so forth, you just don't see them. They start in sort of mid-coast and, you know, become more prevalent the farther down east you get. Well, I, I will be sure that it, to put uh, Guillemot kayaks and kayak plans and wooden kayaks, um, I'll put those links in the show notes so listeners can catch up with you after the interview. Great. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Nick, one final question that I'd like to ask all of my guests, and that is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? My primary paddling partner here in Connecticut is a guy named Jerry Polinski. He runs a company called Sea Sherpa Kayaks, and he is very much the opposite in me in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, he's fairly you know, relatively new to kayaking. I think he's been doing it over 10 years now, but gone through the uh, full coaching system in both ACA and BCU. And we spend a lot of our weekends out here on Fishers Island Sound. And, you know, he he's really delved deep into the whole coaching thing. And, and it's something I basically have no experience with and you know we we have a lot of fun discussions talking about various ways of you know sort of getting into kayaking and experiencing kayaking out on the water and you know he's a fun guy to talk to well i appreciate the lead i will i will follow up with jerry and we'll look forward to uh, getting jerry on a future episode here that would be great all right. Nick, this has been fun. I appreciate learning about you and Guillemot Kayaks and your history and um, all that goes into designing and building boats. So I really appreciate you joining me this evening and hope you had fun as well. 
I, I very much did. I, I appreciate your invitation, John. And, um, you know, one thing I, I, you know, we both sort of mourned the loss of Sea Kayaker magazine. I think it's people like you who are going to fill in some of the gaps. And I, I think it's an important part of sea kayaking as a sport to have people like you doing the kind of thing you're doing and evangelizing the sport for other people. I appreciate that. Thank you. It has certainly been a fun project for me, and I look forward to all the, all the future interviews as well. well. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, John. Take care. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions, along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Thanks again for joining me for Nick's story today. Nick has come a long way from his first design, in, in his words, the horrendous trimaran for he and his buddies to race uh, to the beautiful strip-built designs that he creates today. So make sure you check out Nick's website for his plans, as well as pictures of some of the award-winning boats that he's built. They are truly works of art, but really designed to see the water. And I hope you were listening closely to this episode for the secret question. If you have the answer, send it to me at john at paddlingtheblue.com, along with your name, mailing address, and email address. Each correct answer goes into a random drawing, and one lucky winner will receive a $100 gift card toward the Level 6 gear of their choice. And we've got some sweet shirts and hoodies and hats from our friends at PH Custom Sea Kayaks and Werner Paddles for other lucky winners. Remember, you've got until February 28th, 2021 to get your answer to me, and we will announce the winners on our March, March 15, 2021 show. Our next guest is Ollie Sanders. And Ali is going to join us from his home in Snowdonia, Wales, to talk about combining his passions for sea kayaking and alpine mountaineering in East Greenland. And yes, there may be polar bears involved too. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue. <laughs>